Well, good morning, Impact Church. Would you take out your Bibles and your message outlines with me today? And I want to talk about a message called Live Each Day Like It's Your Last. Live each day like it's the last day that you have to live. Obviously, a week ago today, we all heard the heartbreaking news about Kobe and Gianna Bryant and seven just wonderful people, families that were on this helicopter and to be honest for me personally it has wrecked me in a lot of ways ways that are layered maybe like I've not experienced before and uh, one of the things about the job of a pastor the ministry of a pastor is you do things that you love to do and you do other things that you don't love to do right it's like anything and uh, I, I don't like doing funerals. I've done a lot of funerals in my life. I've done funerals that have a one-foot casket in front of me because a baby passed away. Uh, several of those. One that was an open casket with the baby. And imagine being the person you have to stand on the other side of that. And the whole goal of a funeral is to give hope, is to give the family some comfort and peace. But inside, I am broken and very emotional and every death that I have been connected to is uh, is never easy and as I think about this last week uh, it hit me hard and it hit me hard because of the fact that Kobe was a daddy and I think in today's day and age it speaks volumes because it's hard to find dads that are that involved with their children I mean I read a study this last week that says the average amount of time that a father spends with their child each day is less than seven minutes a day. That's an American father. Less than seven minutes a day. So the power of Kobe's death for me is not, man, we lost a basketball legend, although he was. It's not, wow, we lost somebody that taught us about hard work and discipline, although he did. It's the fact that he was a daddy. I mean, are there any other daddies in here today with me? Like a daddy. And I'm a daddy. I have coached my daughter from a little girl. I coached her first basketball team when she was five years old and coached her into college. And I cannot imagine. Can you imagine, Mike? I cannot imagine being a player on that team and losing three teammates and two coaches in a moment. I cannot imagine being a teenage boy or girl and losing both my parents and my sister at the same time. I can't imagine, of course, being Vanessa and losing your husband and one of your children at the same time. To be honest with you, tragedy or heartbreaking or terrible doesn't seem to scratch the surface of what people might have been going through this entire week. But as I've contemplated this, I've thought about this a lot, and I've thought about this one, this one phrase in my head is that everybody's days are numbered. Everybody's day is numbered. The moment you came into this world, God knows the exact day that you will leave this world. Time is short, and every day is numbered. I've been asked questions all throughout the week. Why would God allow this? Or what do you think this means? Or why Kobe? Or 
What, what, do, what do you make of this, Pastor Travis? Last weekend I preached in the 1030 service, and between services I had a friend that lives between Beverly Hills and Scottsdale, and he was talking about how horrible the traffic is, and he was saying, man, thank God for the times I'm in Arizona, because the Los Angeles traffic is terrible, and the news hadn't broke yet about Kobe. We're sitting back in my office, and I said, you know what you should do? You should do like what Kobe Bryant does. He bought a helicopter, and he uses it like a car. He shoots around L.A. in that helicopter. He lives in Newport Beach and Pelican Hill. He used to fly to the Staples Center. You know why? Not only could he beat traffic, but he could take his kids to school, then go to practice, and then pick them up from school. That's what gets me the most about this situation is that he's a dad and a good dad. And I'm a dad, and I hope that I'm a good dad. And so that messes me up big time, but our days are numbered, and we need to live each day like it's our very last day because you never know it could be your last day. I want you to look in Psalm 39 with me. There's two verses here in verses 3 and 4. The Bible says, and these are the words of David. He said, Lord, remind me of how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered. How fleeting my life is. You've made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. He's right. Life is fleeting. I mean, even if you live to be 100 years old, it's fleeting. It's a sliver of a moment, a fraction of a moment in the timeline of eternity. And every breath that God has given you is another gift from God. God, remind me, remind us how short our time is on earth and to make life count, to live life to the fullest, to live life like every moment counts because it does. I don't know if you guys did this when you were children, but when I was a kid, some of my homies, you know, they would be like, yo, Trav, like if you had one day to live, what would you do? Did you guys ever have questions, silly questions like that? Like if you had one day to live, what would you do? And as a kid, I would be like, oh, yo, I would go skydiving and I would go bungee jumping and I would go see Paris and all these other great landmarks around the world. It's amazing what age and maturity does because as I contemplate that question today if you had one day to live what would you do all I can think about is family family nothing else matters if I had 24 hours to live I would spend it with my family and so today I want you to look at your outlines with me and I want to give you five things that we need to focus on if we're going to live each day like it's our last day. Number one is to spend more time loving. Spend more time loving. It's been said that you can spell love, T-I-M-E, right? Man, if I give you my time, I give you my most valuable treasure, my time. There's nothing better, nothing more valuable than time. And when I give you my time, I've given you something that I can never get back. I can give you money and I can go make more money. But if I give you my time, I'm giving you something that I can never get back. And so I would spend more time loving my loved ones. Nothing says I love you like quality time. I mean, in today's day and age, it's like we just need to slow down. We're so busy and we're chasing this and we're chasing that. 
whether it's money, whether it's success, whether it's accolades, whether it's education. And we're missing the biggest point in life, and it is our loved ones. It's family. It's time with our family. One day, Jesus was asked by some religious leaders, they said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment in the Bible? And Jesus said in Mark 12, he said, the greatest is to love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then he said, the second is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is saying the two most important things in life, the two most important things, don't miss it, the two most important things in life are to love God and to love people. If you're here today, there's a chance that some of you in here, maybe you've never made a decision to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. If that's you today, I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end of the sermon, but love God, make God your number one, and love your family. If I had one more day to live, i got to be honest, I wouldn't spend it trying to close another deal. I wouldn't spend it trying to make another dollar. I wouldn't be looking for the next fun moment, the next buzz, the next high. I wouldn't spend it chasing the lust of the flesh. I would simply spend time loving God and loving my family, my wife, my kids, my siblings, my, my mother, my nieces, my nephews. Your family is God's greatest gift to you. It's your family. That's God's greatest gift. Look what it says in Psalm 127.3. The Bible says, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. Let's read that out loud together. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. So if you have children, they're a gift to you from God. God's gift to you. Spend time with your children. You know what I've learned throughout my own life is that sometimes parents, instead of spending time with their children, they buy them things. They think that that makes it okay. I never see my son, I never see my daughter, but I'll buy them things. You can't buy love. You can't buy friendship with your children. You have to spend time with them. Listen, if you are a parent today, your children need your attention. If you are a parent of a parent today and you're a grandparent, your grandchildren, they need your attention. They need their parents' attention. And let me tell you something. If you don't give your children attention, they will go find it somewhere else. And you don't want to risk where they might find that attention. For those of you who are married, spend time together. A lot of people are married and they live in the same house, but they never spend quality time together. Make a day every week where we say, you know what, this is going to be our date night every week. This is date night, and every week it is like, it is like holy ground. We were not going to lose out on our once a week date night or date lunch or date breakfast or date day or whatever it might be. Look what the Bible says about uh, finding a wife in Proverbs 18.22. It says, the man who finds a wife finds a treasure and he receives favor from the Lord. Husbands, your wives are your treasure. She's your treasure. It signifies God's favor on your life. You know, unfortunately, there's not a single verse in the entire Bible that says a husband is a gift or a treasure. I, you know, I mean, that's kind of messed up, but 
We got to take one for the team. But what I'm saying is, is to spend more time with your family. In 1 Corinthians 13, there's an entire chapter on love. The entire chapter is dedicated to love. And it talks about what love is. And it talks about what love is not. And it starts off with some powerful considerations. Look what it says in verses 1 3 through 1 through 3. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Let me just pause for a moment. This is talking about the manifestations of God. There are manifestations of God, gifts of God that He gives people. He gives gifts of speaking in tongues. He gives the gift of prophecies, the gift of words of wisdom, words of knowledge, words of faith, the gifts of healing. The problem is, is that a lot of men and women of God, a lot of churches, a lot of church movements get all caught up in the gifts of God and they forget about God. They get caught up in the gifts of God and chasing the manifestations of God, but they forget about the bigger point is loving people. And so he says, man, if I had the gift of speaking in tongues, if I had that gift, but I don't love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. He said, if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and I give my body over to hardship that I may boast, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. I want you to circle the words if in those scriptures. There's a bunch of ifs. If I speak in tongues, if I have the gift of prophecy, if I have faith, if I give all my possessions to the poor. Because you could put anything after the word if. If I make a lot of money. If I'm supremely successful. If I become incredibly educated. And he's making the point that nothing else matters other than love. You can chase knowledge. You can chase wisdom. You can chase education. You can chase women. You can chase men. You can chase the next exciting emotion in your life. But if you don't have love, you've missed the entire purpose of your life. And so the thing that impresses me most about the life of Kobe Bryant is the same thing that hurts me most about his life. And that is the fact that he loved his kids. He loved his family. The second thing we need to do if we're going to live life like it's our last day to live is to spend more time caring, caring for one another. I feel like our world is depleted of true care for one another, that we truly care. We have compassion for each other, that we have sympathy for one another, that we have grace for each other, that we truly understand the needs of people. Caring involves compassion. Caring involves empathy and sympathy and being transparent and really honest, I'm not the most caring person in the world. I mean, maybe you are, but this is an area of my own life that I need to work out some extra care in my life. It's not that I don't have a heart. It's just that I kind of have a hard heart because I was raised in this school of hard knocks. I wasn't raised like my children. 
My children have a mommy and a daddy and both are in the mix and involved in their lives and are trying to give them every opportunity known to mankind and trying to encourage them along the way and help cultivate and foster the environment that God shaped them to be in. I grew up with a single mom working three jobs to try to put food on the table. My mom never had a dad. Her mom was murdered. When my mother was 13, her mother was raped and murdered. This is my bloodline. Like I was raised in the like, hey, suck it up. You're going to have to get through it type of environment. I was raised in fight or flight. I wasn't ready. Hey, not everybody gets a freaking trophy in this world. Not everybody gets a trophy. You want a trophy? You're going to outwork every other kid on the basketball team because not everybody gets a trophy. Just like not everybody gets the promotion. Boo, they picked him. Work your freaking butt off. Stop griping and complaining. You see where I come from. So this is my problem is I don't have a lot of care in my heart. But if I had one day to live, I know I could find it and be more caring. Caring is compassion. You know, caring is truly feeling the needs of other people. It's meeting the needs of other people. To love means to care. To love means to show compassion. To love means to meet the needs of people. There's a great passage in Matthew 25 about Jesus. And Jesus said this, he said, for when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. He said, when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we feed you? When did we give you something to drink? When did we invite you in or give you clothes? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? But the king replied, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. I love this passage. In fact, I was greatly encouraged this last week on Instagram. I saw a post from one of our church family members and this gentleman put a picture of a homeless man on his post and he said, man, Impact Church has changed my life. Jesus Christ has changed my life through this church, and I'm growing. And he put a picture of this homeless man, and he said, today I went and bought a bag of dog food, and I bought some food for this man and his dog. That's doing it for the least of men. That's care. That's compassion. That's sympathy. This last week, I also posted a picture myself on Instagram of a woman who is so dear to my heart. She's not blood, but she's like blood. And her name is Louise. And Louise is 95 years old. And Louise and her late husband, Bob, were my host family when I went to Bible school. They spoiled me rotten. They took good care of me. I mean, they were absolutely amazing. I still am not sure if she's human or an angel. I always ask her, are you sure you're actually a human and not an angel on this earth just to help me and to pray for me and to guide me through life? She's an amazing woman. She's 95 years old, four foot nine. She still chops her own wood. I'm not kidding you. 
She's 95 and still leads a weekly Bible study. She's 95 and still leads a weekly prayer group. She's 95 and she still goes and to rest homes, retirement homes, where people can't go to church themselves, and she takes church to them, and she gives them church. This is an amazing lady. And last week, she took a fall carrying wood in, and she broke her shoulder, and she broke her arm. And she laid there for 13 hours before somebody came to help her. I said, Louise, that's horrible. And she said, I laid there for 13 hours. But you know what? Me and Jesus had the greatest time. He reminded me that he would never leave me and he would never forsake me. And we were just fine. I said, Louise, that breaks my heart. You know, they got these buttons now to help me. I can't get up. I've fallen and I can't get up. You need a button. And she said, you know, I actually have one of those. I just didn't have it on at that time. She said, I was down on the ground. I tried to use my cane to push the phone off the wall. You guys remember those back in the day? Phones that were on the wall. And she said, and I got it to come off and it fell and it just shattered all over the floor. She said, the older I get, Travis, the less friends I have because they all die. I said, girl, you just outliving all of them, huh? She said, that's right, show them who's boss. She is an amazing woman. For me, she is the picture of care. When I think of care in my own life, she is the model for my life in care. The third thing, if we're going to spend each day like it's our last, we need to spend more time listening. Everybody's got something to say, but nobody wants to listen. We need to listen more. Learners are listeners. When you listen, you learn so much about people. The Bible says in James 1.19 that everyone should be quick to listen. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to become angry. Most of us talk too much. Most of us, we've got a lot to say and not a lot to listen to. God gave us two ears and one mouth. Isn't it kind of like an indication? It's like a hint. It's like he could have just given us one big ear on the front of our forehead. You know, no, he gave us two ears. Hey, listen more than you talk. I have a little quiz for you. This is just a quiz for yourself to answer in your own mind if you're a good listener or not. When you are around your friends, would other people say that you're slow to speak? Would your spouse, if you're married, say that you're slow to speak? How many failed the test already? Test is over. I'm out, right? Okay. How many of you, what would others say? Do you do most of the talking in conversations? Would others say that you interrupt them and don't let them finish their sentence or their thoughts? Would others think that you're a know-it-all? When others speak, does your mind wander? Men? Does your mind wander? Right? And so we need to listen more. Listening shows that you care. Listening is love. Now, I want to speak to you married couples for a minute because if you're married today, you know that the number one problem in marriages is communication breakdown. It's the number one problem in marriages. It's not infidelity, it's not financial problems, it's not stress, it's not boredom, it's communication breakdown. It's not that we're not talking, because we are, but we're not listening, 
and we're not listening the way we should be listening. Communication, good communication is not talking. It's not even necessarily listening. It's good listening. And poor listening causes mistakes. It causes uh, problems. It costs us money and business. Poor listening, it causes breakdowns in relationships. It causes all kinds of problems. And when we talk more than we listen, we are set up for failure. Listening is not just hearing what somebody's saying. It's understanding and feeling what somebody's saying. Right? I mean, we live in the cell phone world, so most of us, when we're listening, we're also texting or reading something at the same time. That's not good listening. In fact, it's incredibly disrespectful. Good listening is listening with your eyes. Have you ever spoke to somebody, you know somebody in your life, and they just listen and they just look into your eyes like they're looking into your soul, like you guys are doing with me right now, like it's just good listening? Good listeners, good listeners listen with their heart. They can feel it. They listen with their body language. I was reading that studies show that only 7%, 7% of communication is the words that we use, verbal. Only 7%, 43% of what you communicate to your husband or to your wife is by the tone of your voice. How fast, how slow you talk, how loud you talk. I'm not mad. Are you mad? I'm not mad. <laughs> you said I'm not mad with your mouth, but every fiber in your being said I'm pissed the mess off. Right? And so it's body language, it's gestures, facial expressions, it's our posture, it's all of it. And so good listeners means that I'm involved in feeling what you are saying to me. I'm an active listener. I'm an empathetic listener. So I think we need to learn to listen better. The fourth thing is that I'd spend more time encouraging this is another problem I have is encouragement. I don't have the gift of encouragement. If anything, I have the gift of discouragement. You know, the gift of encouragement means, encourage means this. It means to infuse courage into somebody. You have the power of life and death in your mouth. The Bible says that your words have the power of life and death. I have the power to build you up or tear you down. Some of you have poor self-esteem today because you grew up with a parent that always tore you down. Words are powerful. Words are incredibly powerful. And so when I want to encourage, I take courage and I stick it inside of your soul. I infuse courage into your life. And the truth is, we all need courage. Because we live in a world of brokenness. People are living in fear. People are living in depression. People are living in pain, physical pain, emotional pain. We all battle moments of self-doubt and insecurity and discouragement. Moments where we feel like, man, I can't make it another day. I can't make it another moment of this day. And most of the time, what we need is simply a word of encouragement. So if I had 24 hours to live, I would encourage everybody I love in every way I could come up with. I would tell them how amazing they are, how gifted they are, how special they are, and how much I love them. 
Be an encourager. If you're not an encourager today, sharpen the gift, the skill of encouragement. This week, I want you to look for ways to encourage other, uh, other people. This way, uh, week, how would I encourage family members? How can I encourage coworkers? How can I encourage employees? How can I encourage people in my community? Encouragement. The Bible talks about encouragement at length, and one of the really cool stories of encouragement was when Moses was coming to the end of his life. And if you remember the story of Moses, he led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And he led them out of a long time life of slavery, and God had promised the Israelites the promised land. Moses gets to the brink of the promised land and he dies. But right before he dies, he had been training up a new leader, Joshua. And Joshua was going to take over for Moses. And I can only imagine what Joshua was thinking like, yo, how am I going to take over for Moses? Like, this is a great leader. This is an incredible leader. This is going to be like one day, who's going to take over for Greg Popovich with the Spurs, one of the greatest known coaches in the NBA? It's going to be a step down from there. Who's going to take over for Moses? Joshua, you are. He was probably thinking, man, I'm no Moses. God, how am I going to take on the leadership of such a leader like that? And I love this because Moses encourages him. Look at Deuteronomy 31 with me. It says, then Moses summoned Joshua. And he said to him in the sight of all of Israel, he said, Joshua, be strong and courageous. For you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them. And you shall put them in possession of it. He's encouraging him. He says, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you, nor will he forsake you. Don't fear. Don't be dismayed. Encouragement. You know what I've learned? I've learned that the words that you speak to someone today will have an, a tremendous impact on their life tomorrow. The words you speak today will have tremendous impact on their life tomorrow. And the fifth thing, if we're going to live each day like it's our last, is to spend more time sacrificing. Sacrifice. Do you understand what sacrifice is? Sacrifice is I'm digging deep within myself to give you something that I may not have. That's sacrifice. If I had five million bucks, I said, Miss Bonnie, here's a million dollars. God bless you. You would love that. That wouldn't be a sacrifice. It'd be generous. It'd be a nice gift. But I've still got four more million dollars. It's not a sacrifice. The Bible is built on the idea of sacrificial living. In Romans 12, he says that you give your bodies, present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Jesus was crucified for the sins of humanity, sacrificed. And I love this verse in Mark 
16 or Matthew 16, it says, then Jesus said to his disciples, let's read this out loud together. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Circle deny themselves. Deny themselves is sacrifice. I deny my own desires, my own wants, my own needs to meet your needs, your desires, and your wants. That's sacrifice. Sacrifice, Miss Bonnie, is I've got $5 million in the bank and I give you $5 million. That's sacrifice. It's giving all I've got. Sacrifice. The Christianity of this day and age doesn't know anything about sacrifice. We don't know nothing about sacrifice. The people who have gone before us, they know about sacrifice. Giving their lives for the cause of Christ. We don't know about sacrifice. We think, well, I, just, I believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus, that's not sacrifice. Dying for the cause of Christ, that's sacrifice. Going without for the cause of Christ, that's sacrifice. Giving till it hurts to help build the kingdom of God, that's sacrifice. But we live in a tip God generation. We live in a tip God with my time, tip God with my talent, tip God with my treasure. We don't live in a day and age of sacrifice. Sacrifice is the church of Jesus Christ in China right now. Sacrifice is the church of God in North Korea right now. Sacrifice is the church of Jesus Christ in many parts of the Middle East right now. That if you go to church and they find out, they'll kill you on the spot. That if you go to church, if you own a Bible, they'll kill you or they'll imprison you and torture you for the rest of your life. Certain parts of the world understand sacrifice, but not us. We don't understand sacrifice. Sacrifice means I deny myself. I take up my cross. We want like a feel-good Christianity, don't we? You know, the most popular verses that we post on our social media are the ones that are going to get you through your day. The most popular sermons I preach, if you go to YouTube, if you're... Subscribe to our YouTube channels. They're about how to get through your anxiety, how to live through fear, how to conquer your worries, how God can heal you. You need a miracle? Those are the ones most watched. Not the, are you in, are you out? You gonna give your life for Christ? All of it or none of it? Those are rarely, rarely viewed. Because we want feel-good sermons. We want, oh, Jesus, make us feel good. Be good to us. I'll be okay to you. God, you understand. You know my heart. See, it just seems so soft, doesn't it? It seems so soft. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple. Here's what happened in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It started with Jesus saying, hey, you want to know what I'm about? Come and see. He told his first disciples, come and see. They said, Jesus, where are you going? Come and see. A little bit further into the Gospels, he says, follow me. Follow me. 
But as it got further and further, people started bailing. In John chapter 6, it says many people stopped following because it was too much of a price to pay. Because by the end, he says, come and die with me. That's sacrifice. And it's not only about Jesus Christ, it's about one another. You know what a perfect marriage looks like? It's built on sacrifice. I deny myself for you. I deny myself, my wants, my needs, my whatever it is. I deny it. And instead, I want to meet your needs, Natalie. Instead, I want to give you everything that you want. And then on the flip side, she goes, I deny myself. I'm going to deny it all, and I'm going to meet your needs. That's how a perfect marriage works. That's how marriage lasts. Marriages don't last, and they get sideways when it's about me. It's about my needs. You don't meet my needs. That's when they get broken. That's when they start to fall apart. I want to read you in Ephesians 5 because it talks about this cyclical depiction of a husband and a wife. So if you're married today, pay attention. If you're not married today and you're desperate, pay attention because the day's coming. It says this, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. I want all the women to read this out loud with me. I'm serious. Ready? Here we go. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Okay, let's close in prayer. I'm just kidding. Let's read on. He says, for the husband is the head of the wife. I always tell my wife that. You know, I say, woman, I'm the head. You know what she said? She says, I'm the neck that turns the head. Boy, you better do exactly what I'm telling you to do. We're going to have some problems. So he says, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Husbands, men, boys. Let's read this part together out loud. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. So here's how it works. When you're married, he says, the woman submits to her husband. Now don't get crazy with it because it's not what you think. It's not men to lord over your wife, it's to love and to lead your wife. It's not to Lord, it's to lead. It's like when you think about business or coaches. Bosses push. Leaders pull. Leaders pull. And so if I'm a man of God, I'm trying to live my life so right before God that it's a great model for my wife. It's a great model for my children. Listen, if you're a woman, don't go marrying no man that doesn't love Jesus Christ because you're going to live a life of hell if you love Jesus Christ because he's not going to understand the things of God. And so it works. Because a husband is supposed to be his wife's protection. 
her shield. Really her, her superman. Her everything. And then it says, but we're supposed to submit to God. And do what God did. He gave himself up for the church. So reality is, is that men, again, you're supposed to die for your wife. You're supposed to die. A living sacrifice. Don't go out and shoot yourself today and leave her a note. This was for you. This is about a living sacrifice. This is about I give my life away for your life. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 13 with me. We read part of 13 earlier. We're going to read some more of it here. He says what love is. He says love is patient. Let's read it out, out loud. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Would you bow your heads with me? If you're here today and you've never taken a step in faith to acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you do that right now? I want you to pray right now. Jesus, today I give you my life. I surrender my life to you. I want to live for you. Teach me how to live for you. Even if it means one day I die for you. God, I pray that we would learn to live each day like it's our last. God, that our days are numbered and we would truly make them count. Every moment, every breath is a gift from you.